This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. If you're just joining us today, we are in uh, the last part of our series called Tapestry, okay? And we're going to be covering generationalism today, and we're going to be in Titus chapter 2. So if you've got those Bibles that were passed out or have your own, turn to Titus chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. We are so blessed. My goodness. The series that we're in right now, it proves just how blessed we are as a congregation. What an honor it is to be a pastor of a church, a church that strives to magnify the Lord through the unity of his people. Understand, our church strives. This is what we aim to do. We aim to magnify Jesus. How? Through the unity of his people. Sounds like a no-brainer, but man, that's hard. Man, that's messy. But that's what we strive to do. It sounds like that's what every church should be doing, or that's what every church is doing. But the reality of the matter is it is rare to actually see a church that truly elevates its people. Not just in theory, not just saying we want to elevate you, but truly get hands-on and elevates its people. Elevates its people to live successful lives in Christ. That's rare in a church rather than elevate the name outside of the building. So rare to find a church like this. And when, I'm, and when I say elevate, I mean celebrate a person. Celebrate a person for the unique way God has gifted them. <laughs> there isn't this special preference here at Redemption. Please don't think that we think if you're a greeter, an usher, or a deacon, or an elder, that somehow you op, you've obtained some higher level of spirituality or holiness, not that those positions aren't important because they are, but our aim is to get you to see that however God has blessed, blessed you and gifted you, that is what's important to us. We want you to understand that how you've been blessed and gifted is for the benefit of God's kingdom and for his community. And this is the first time I've ever been a part of a local congregation that truly values our members. I mean, we value our members so much that we empower you to have a ministry. We give you the authority to run your ministry. We don't lord over you as a church and say, this is how you need to do it. But if you have a passion for the Lord, what we do is we value you so much that we give you the authority because we believe that the same spirit that is in us is in you. So go ahead and run that ministry. I've never been a part of a church that does that. I've never been a part of a church that values their members enough to tell them the truth in love 
regardless of their feelings or their gender or their race or their socioeconomic status or even their age. I've been around a lot of churches. I've been around a lot of pastors. And I've seen them compromise in these areas so many times to save their organizations, to save that name on the building. And I have to admit that I, myself, was part of that compromising. And it was based on prejudices. But being here, my eyes have been opened. And slowly, my life is changing. I'm way more sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God in my life, and I hope you are too. I have a deeper passion now to pray for my wife and ask God to show me how to love her and the unique giftings that he has given her without me trying to manipulate the situation for my own benefits. Show me, God. Show me. I want to actually enjoy the real benefits of her expressing her gifts and talents that God has equipped her with. God has blessed me, and he has blessed a lot of you in this room with eyes to see his word. God has blessed me to gain understanding of who I am, to be a man, and to know my role in his community. He has now blessed me finally to see that I have to be a voice for my sisters in Christ. God has blessed me to see that. He's shown me how I have to stand up for them. And celebrate them. He showed me that there's no longer male and female distinctions that makes one less or makes one more. But we are male and female in Christ, which makes us one body. He's shown me that. God has shown me a deeper love for my brothers in Christ. Especially over these past couple of weeks. And the more I get to know them on a personal level, the more I want to get underneath them and elevate them and lift them up and celebrate them because I see that the same spirit that's in me is in them. God has shown me that I'm not alone in this walk and that his spirit dwells in his people and that there are godly men who long to see the truth of the gospel lived out, not only in their lives, but in the lives of others as well. You see, God has shown me how sexism is not a part of his tapestry. In Christ, there is neither Greek or Jewish distinction that makes one less or makes one more, but we are all ethnically joined in one body, creating a beautiful tapestry, displaying God's glorious kingdom to the world. Then I look at myself, and I know that through crass talk in a devaluing in a hatred for my own skin that I brought shame. There is a cloth of shame that I wanted to bring to the tapestry of God and say, God, add this to your tapestry. Why? Why did I do that? Because we live in such a sarcastic society that if you stand up for anything, you'll get mocked and ridiculed. Just think about in this world, I'm talking about right here in this church. If we stand up for anything, there are some out there that will ridicule and mock me or mock us if we stand up for anything. So because 
we live in such a sarcastic society, what I would do is I would belittle somebody's legitimate concern of racism within their own hearts. I would belittle that. And I would try to draw that racism out of them to let them know it's okay. You can be racist around me. You can take this. It's all good. I wanted to be that. And then I tried to bring that to the tapestry of God, and he said no. He rejected that cloth. He did not allow that to be knitted into his work. But the hard part about it was is that was a piece of who I was. I had to get rid of that. It was a part of me. I really didn't mind the jokes. I didn't mind the rude humor. I didn't mind the racial undertones of the speech that was going on. Until I got into a room with others, and I was face-to-face with my own racism. That's when it hit. So now what I do is I war against it. There's something in me that has to war against it. I have to war against just having the freedom to be racist. I have to war against it. When it rises up in me, the Holy Spirit of God that's in me has to battle that for me. I have to war against racism in my heart. It's a fight. It doesn't just go away. You have to fight against it. And now I no longer I no longer try to fit that piece of cloth into the tapestry of God. What I do now in my wartime is I celebrate others. That's what I do. That's how I fight. I celebrate others that are different from me. You know how I fight? I'm in love with who God has made me. I look in the mirror and I love who God has made me. That's how I fight against racism is I look in the mirror and I say, God, you have made me an African-American male who is part Japanese, saved by the precious blood of Christ. I love that you have made me like this, God. God has shown me, he has shown me how racism is not a part of his tapestry. And in Christ, there's neither slave nor free. There's, in Christ, there's neither rich nor poor. But in Christ, there are brothers and sisters who just so happen to have things given to them by Christ. It's interesting because somehow I had this prejudice against every class of people. And I didn't even realize it until now. Every single class of people I had a prejudice against. I would think that the rich people were all selfish all selfish and that the poor people they were all lazy and that the middle class people they were all zombies just following everything that was going on in society but they just didn't lose the ability to speak so they were talking normal but they were zombies and that's how I viewed everybody but what the tapestry did was it make it made me look into a mirror and ask the question well if that's how you view everybody where do you stand which category are you in where do you fit if that's how you view everybody and it finally hit me I know I'm not like that because I'm in Christ just like all my brothers and sisters regardless of how much money or assets we have or don't have we are in Christ and we have been entrusted by Jesus to use the blessings he has bestowed upon us for the benefit of his kingdom and the community around us God has shown me how classism is not a part of his tapestry. Now we're going to go to slide one here. So as I was reading and going through Titus chapter 2, verse 1 through 8, there were three things that penetrated my heart. It penetrated my heart, but they also brought great anxiety to me as well. 
The reason it brought anxiety is because I don't feel adequate enough to preach on generationalism, especially because today my focus is going to be on the silent generation and the baby boomers, which ranges from age 50 to like 100. And that's going to be my focus. But if you are 50 or if you're under 50, don't tune out because trust me, there's going to be nuggets in here for you to learn from. Now, even though I feel inadequate to preach this, there's one thing that I do know. God has called me to preach this. He's called me to do this, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to answer the call. With all the circumstances going on, I, feel, I still feel called to preach this message. So the first thing that I believe that the Holy Spirit of God revealed to me is this, that older men, 50 and up, talking to you, older men in Christ, you must know your status in Christ and in the church. Older men, you must understand that your role in the body of Christ is to bring stability. And the second thing that I noticed while reading this passage is that older women in Christ must know their position in the church. Women of God, older women of God, you have a high position in this church, whether you realize it or not. Hopefully, by the end of the sermon, you'll realize it. And the third thing that I've learned is that the passing of a generation of godly things, it only happens in a healthy church. And I don't just mean the passing, passing of leadership, like me giving it to my son, or Aaron giving it to his son, or Kyle giving it to his, or Josh giving it to his, or Dave giving it to his grandson because he's old. He won't give it to his son. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a passing of godly things from a leadership standpoint, but from a cultural standpoint, from a congregational standpoint, the passing on of a culture. And we, sitting in this room today, we have a unique position to make that happen. So we're going to see. We're going to see later how we're positioned to do that. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, and if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Titus chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. This is Paul writing to Titus. Titus chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. It says this, it says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Like, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear your truth, and may your truth open up our eyes to see the work of your Son through the tapestry that you're knitting together right now. Holy Spirit, may you penetrate our hearts on an individual level, and by doing so, mobilizing us to move in unison so that the world can see your Son through the reflection of our steps as we imitate the Savior. Those are the things that we're praying for. 
today. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. There's a fake sense of power right there where you say stand up and sit down and you guys actually do it. It's weird. It's weird how, <laughs> it's weird how that works. <laughs> now, now, Paul is writing this letter to Titus while Titus was the leader of the church churches in Crete, okay? Now, Crete was very much like America. It was overly sexualized. Instant gratification was going on. They needed it now. I want my money now. Anybody ever seen that commercial? They need it now. Sexual immorality running rampant in the streets, drunkenness and drugs, and a variety of other things were happening in Crete. All you got to do is just imagine downtown, first Friday, Roosevelt, and everybody naked, and that's Crete. All right? So, and Titus... Just trying to get you to see the debauchery going on there. In Titus chapter 1, Paul sees to it that he teaches Titus how pastors and elders are to teach and conduct themselves in such a society as Crete. Okay? Titus was to go out in Crete and find men above reproach. Because in chapter 1, verse 10 through 14 you'll notice that there were some teachers in the church distorting the gospel and causing many people to stumble. And I don't think it's a coincidence when we move into chapter 2, the chapter we're going over, that Paul starts off by addressing the older men in the church. And then he moves in to the older women. And then he starts talking about the young people. He does it in that order because Paul knows how valuable older, more mature people are to a congregation. Only if we would understand that. Now, I'm not saying just because you're old that you're valuable. Because there's nothing more sad in my life that I've seen as an unregenerate old person let loose in our society to act on any sinful impulse they may have, wasting all of the wisdom gained from living a life past 60, and they're wasting it on debauchery and vain speech and crassness. There's nothing more sad than seeing that. All those years of experience gained, wasted. But there are older men and older women that know the Lord. And those people, they are a treasure to this church. Now, I know that there's a huge distinction between the church, and the world. And right now, we're in a battle because there are philosophies and ideas and values and stigmas that have entered into the church from the world that begin to overshadow the truths of God's word. And that's what Paul is warring against in Titus. And I think that's what we are up against today. I have another slide for you. They made these slides look way better than what I did. I gave them some junk, and they made it look nice. So, like our tech team. So if you notice in verse 1, Paul speaking to Titus, and I honestly believe that this is the Holy Spirit speaking to me. He tells Titus to teach sound doctrine. Now, sound doctrine means healthy. Teach healthy doctrine. Teach healthy lessons. And he, Paul begins to challenge the older men to be sober-minded. It is so sad how retirement has crept into the church. It is so sad. 
when you see an older person take that philosophy and bring it into the church and just sit around wasting the wisdom game. So sad thinking that they've worked with the kids already. I've done that. I've done my time. I'm retired. How? That's not healthy. It's not, it's not healthy for me to teach retirement in the church. It's just not healthy for me to teach idleness in the church. It's not healthy for me to let crass talk, rude speech be common in this church. It's just not healthy for me to let the abuse of the word faith breathe death into this church. It's not healthy for me to allow an unloving, non-patient people to have a voice in this church. It's just not healthy. So older men that have found your identity in Christ, listen, be sober-minded. That's what Paul says. That's what I believe the Spirit is telling us. Older men, be dignified. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Now that doesn't Being dignified doesn't mean to walk around with your chest all puffed out and to always wear a suit and tie on Sunday or every day of the week. That's not what being dignified means here. But what being dignified does mean here is to take life serious. Please, take life serious. You have been blessed. You are living right now. You have been Blessed, take life serious. You've been through so many things. Don't fall into the trap that my generation and the millennials are facing right now, having this flippant attitude towards the holiness of God. But you have been raised better. You are raised in a generation where they actually value the holiness of God. We need you in this church. We need you to take life serious. Think about this. God has shown you so much. My goodness, he's shown you so much. Every step that I am taking right now, you have seen. All these words that I'm speaking right now, you have heard. You being dignified is a blessing to this church. Please take life serious. Older men, be self-controlled. That word simply means to be sensible or to have common sense because you've been through this already. You know what's going on. So please bless us, older men and women, with your experience. Please, I'm pleading with you to bless this congregation. Remember that the word sound, it means healthy. So older men, listen, be healthy in your faith. Healthy in your love. Please be healthy in your steadfastness. What a treasure you are when you're healthy in your faith. You have an unwavering faith that we need to see. Be healthy in your faith. You've lived long enough to see God's merciful hand in just about every situation of life. Be healthy in your faith. You have an unshakable trust in the Lord, and we need to see that older men be healthy in your faith. What a treasure you are when you're healthy in your love. You are closer to the love of Christ than we are because you're not so easily motivated by your feelings anymore. You are now motivated 
Because you've lived long enough by the gracious hand of God. You are motivated by his truths which allow you to love unconditionally. There's nothing more awesome to me than to see a grandparent loving on their grandchildren. There's an unconditional love that happens there. It's even more awesome when I see a grandparent loving their grandchildren in spite of their own children not being there for them. They step up to the plate. They love unconditionally. We need that in this church. Teach us how to love. I love it when there are older people that know how to love and they're not bitter, but they actually truly love. What a treasure you are because you're healthy in your steadfastness. Think about this. You have been running this race for a very long time. You know all the turns. You know when to jump. You know when to duck. You have been running. You have endured. You are persevering. You have faced various trials. You've suffered much, and yet here you are today sitting right here in this chair being a precious jewel for all of us to see. Hallelujah. Bless us with your steadfastness. And some of you older men and older women may be sitting there thinking that, well, Pastor Wes, all these things that you're saying, it's, it's just not me. Which is why you must know your status. It's who you are supposed to be. Understand, if you know your status and your role in the church, you will be a blessing to this congregation. And the next slide is uh, for the older women. And it's, it's brief because Paul kept it brief. There's no sexism going on here. Paul just kept it brief, so I kept it brief for you as well. So older women, Paul starts out by saying this. He says, be reverent in behavior. This is why I believe that you must understand your position in the body of Christ. I learned from John MacArthur that the word reverent in behavior, which is one word, it just means to be priest-like in your behavior. I have the honor of praying with a few older women in this congregation every Sunday morning. And you guys can join us in the modulars if you want at 8 a.m. We pray together every Sunday morning for this service and for all of you. And this definition of being reverent or being priest-like, it defines them to a T. To be priest-like, older women, is to reflect the character of God. You are to know his voice. You have a presence about you that screams that you commune with God and that you spend time in his throne room. You are priest-like in your behavior. You're in and out of the throne room of God, older women, blessing our congregation with your presence, with the Father. What a treasure you are to our congregation when you are reverent in your behavior. Paul also goes on to say that older women are not to be busybodies or slandering or gossiping. The word he uses for slander is the word diablos, and we know what that translates to, right? It translates to the devil. And it's, 
It's wild how Paul then, after he says, don't be slanderers, he says to not be given up to much wine. Don't be slaves to wine. So what Paul is saying to older women is don't be drunken devils. <laughs> it's crazy, right? <laughs> That's what he's saying. It's funny because in Crete, in Crete and in other places at that time, they really did drink wine to numb all the pains that are going on. So it wasn't uncommon to actually see them given over to much wine. But don't be drunken devils. So older women, you guys are to be reverent in your behavior, which we know means priest-like. And we unpacked what the word sound is and it's healthy. And you are to be sound in speech. And we know that means healthy. And you are to have a sober mind. So older women, please understand your position in this congregation is this. You are our example of priest-likeness, moving with healthy speech and a sober mind. But some of you say, wait, Pastor Wes, that's just not me. That's why you are to know your position in the church. It's supposed to be you. The next slide. Now, the passing on of generations is very important, and it should be a part of all of our lives in this room. Look at the natural transition that takes place in verses 4, through four, 5, and 6. It says, or 4, 5, and 6. Paul went from instructing older people about how they should live godly lives to instructing them how to teach others how to live godly lives. It's there. He says to the older women to do certain things for the younger women. Then he says to men to do certain things for younger men, like teach them how to be self-controlled. And I believe this is how we as a church must pass on the truths of God to the next generation. Older men and women, please, to listen. Your heart must cry out to God like the psalmist did in Psalm 71:18, when he says, even in my old age and when my hair is gray, oh, God, don't forsake me. Let me proclaim your might to another generation and your power to all those who come. One problem we face is that my generation and the younger generation, we have failed to recognize the importance of the older men and women in our church, Lord, forgive us. My generation and the younger, we don't have passages like Leviticus 19, 32 in our minds that commands us to honor the ones with gray hair. Our culture is so bent on staying young that we have creams to make it appear as if we're not aging and we take pride in that. We have creams and surgeries to get rid of wrinkles. We have dye to get rid of gray hair. We have silicone to defy the laws of gravity. Our, our, culture is so, our culture is so bent on staying young. We're so bent on staying young that, that passages like Proverbs 16.31, passages like Proverbs 16.31 has no value in our culture. I would even be surprised if it has value in this church. Proverbs 16.31, it reads this. It says, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. But unfortunately, when we read passages like that in our society, it's met 
with rolling eyes and huge sighs. But we have been positioned, at least here in this church and in this congregation, we have been positioned to not be that way anymore. God has positioned us here at Redemption to walk in the beautiful tapestry of his gospel. And I'm going to close. And as the band comes, I I would like you to just imagine that if everything that we've been learning about took root into our lives, what would our church look like? If everything... Everything we've been learning about. What if it really did take root in everyone's heart in this room? What would our church look like? Just let me dream for a second. Imagine women. Imagine women were truly honored in our church. Imagine they weren't victims of lustful eyes. Man, how we devalue our women. Imagine that they were celebrated as precious daughters of God. Imagine this. Imagine they were protected by men who had such a deep affection for Christ that he would not dare abuse his sister. Could you imagine that? Too bad that's a fantasy world, isn't it? Please, God, let that take root in our hearts. Although sexism is not a part of God's tapestry, The roles of male and female are. Imagine with me that whites, Hispanics, blacks, and Indians, and Native Americans, and Africans, and Asians. Imagine all of us were taken serious when we talked, when we spoke. There are some in this room that will not listen to me because I'm black. Can you imagine what would happen if everybody took every race serious when they spoke and not devalued people based on their appearance? Could you only imagine that? Imagine all of us being seen through the lens of the gospel, all of us being celebrated because God has chosen us as his own. Could you imagine that? Racism is not a part of the tapestry of God, but ethnicity is. Imagine us living in a congregation or in a community of believers that someone's integrity wouldn't be questioned because they drove a nice car or had things. But we know that person, we know that specific person well enough to know that that person truly does love Jesus and just so happens to like cars as well. Can you imagine living a life with believers that wouldn't belittle you because you didn't have a lot of material things? You just loved living a simple life. Could you imagine living a life where believers wouldn't look down on you because they think you're poor? Imagine actually being loved by your brothers and sisters because Christ first loved us. You see, classism is not a part of the tapestry of God, but various degrees of resources given to an individual and trusted by God to further the kingdom is. Imagine living in a community of believers where the older were really honored, that we really honored people. We honored them in this community because of their steadfastness, faith, and love in Christ. And imagine 
what happens when they turn around and love the younger with a Christ-like love that we've never experienced before. Generationalism is not a part of the tapestry of God, but the honoring of age is. So my charge to everyone in this room is to not let this series die out in your life. Understand that if you want to grow in this community, if you want to grow here at Redemption Alhambra, your hearts must be joined together, knitted in love, in the wonderful tapestry of our God and our King. We have the opportunity to really establish a solid church in this community. What would it look like for us to reflect the kingdom of God and then pass that on to the next generation? Just think about this. All the children in our redemption communities can now grow up in the tapestry of God. (laughs) Although this is very abnormal to us right now, this could be very normal for them. Just think about this, please. Just take a moment to really think about this. Our sons protecting our daughters because that's the normal thing to do. Someone comes into this church from a whole other culture, walking in with their garments and speaking their native tongues. And our kids, when they're older, they don't think twice about it. But what that does is it triggers them to want to celebrate God for bringing more ethnicity to the church. Could you imagine that? Think about our kids being raised in this church, and they can actually rejoice with one another's success because something has been passed on to them that they can truly rejoice when their brother and sister rejoices and they're successful in the Lord and they can also suffer well with them. And last, think about our kids right now. Think about our kids actually honoring us when we're older. When we have the honor of gray hair being our crown of glory reflecting a righteous life that we live. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for this series, God. And I pray that it takes root in our heart and that this actually becomes an identity. I pray that when people walk through the doors, they're walking into a culture that truly magnifies and loves Jesus. I pray, God, that our hearts would change right now. Change our hearts, God, to reflect what a gospel community truly looks like. God, help us to fight against racism. God, help us to fight against sexism and classism and ageism that's in our hearts. Help us to fight that within us. Help us, God. God, please don't allow this to fall on deaf ears, but allow this to fall on good soil and begin to grow and change and motivate people to see others and celebrate them for how you have made them. God, teach us how to love. Teach us how to love like this. Teach the older men and women how to love us with a Christ-like love. And in that, we see you, Father, and we see you, Jesus. God, we pray against all idleness in this church. We pray that we are active. We pray, God, that we are 
mobile and we move into this community as one. We are truly praying these things, God. We want this to happen, God. Please don't allow us to be stagnant anymore. Please don't allow us to just stand by idly. Give us power and strength to walk in your spirit, God. Teach us our role in your tapestry. In Jesus' name, amen.